always like to introduce. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, folks. Welcome to Karate Without Belts, and welcome to our, I guess, series on topic that we have never really tackled on this podcast, and something I hope we can include more voices in. We're not going to beat around the bush with the current events in the world that we've talked about before a little bit on this show. One thing that has, topic that has really pushed itself up into the world is diversity and plurality and, you know, people of different, different backgrounds, different races, different genders, you know, working together. And this is now, we're now in a cultural moment that this stands out in the most. And, you know, as I've said before to our guests today, and I'm going to say now, you know, me being this wiki voiced white guy from the suburbs, doesn't have a lot of experience with this or only has limited experience with this, can't really talk about this. I don't feel, think that I can talk about this. But today and in the next coming episodes, I'm gonna bring voices who can better talk to this and address this. So uh, first I'd like to introduce Mr. David Ward coming from North Carolina. Sir, how are you today? Very good, very good, thank you. Great to have you on and introducing from, I wanna say Brooklyn, well, yes, I live in Brooklyn. My martial arts studio is in Manhattan. So New okay. York City, New York City. <laughs> New York, New York is so nice that they named it twice. Miss Jennifer Freeman. Freeman. Correct. I thought, I thought it was Freeman for the longest time. No. It was like, it <laughs> well, it's spelled that way. It's actually spelled different, but yes, it is Freeman. <clears throat> so welcome folks. Um, I hope everyone's doing well with COVID stuff and things are not as crazy as they have been, but I hear they're getting, looks like they're getting pretty bad again. How are you guys doing? We're doing doing? okay here. We're, fingers crossed. We're like one of the states that so far we're like holding, we're holding. (laughs) We'll see what happens, but so far we're, we're doing as good as can be over here in New York. Good. Yeah, my area is doing pretty good as well. I uh, work in the hospital here in Wilmington, North Carolina. And um, at last count, we had, I think, 45 patients in the hospital with the virus. And we've been keeping a pretty low tab within reasonable control, I guess you can say, here in New Hanover County. So it's not too bad here. But it's bad, yes, but it could be worse. Let's put it that way. Yes. And you so, know that we had our real bad back in April. So we yeah. are now hopeful here in New York. Most of us cautiously optimistic would be the word. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, I mean, because I'm kind of so far removed from everything and I have been so far removed. Like I haven't moved my, from my spot in probably six months, seven months. And uh, as some of you may may know we had a kind of a dress rehearsal for this podcast where I got to listen to a lot of different people who we try to get on at the same time it didn't exactly work out um talk about their experiences and I kind of you know when we kind of ended that session I was like wow I do not know what's going on in the world because I I'm kind of in my little bubble of just keeping keeping my mask on island yes and screaming at the kids wear your masks wear your masks hot I don't care it, it, it's it's funny, but it, it it's even funnier when when the adults pull down, like kind of reach in and pull their masks down and start talking to each other. And then I'm like, you grew up in this culture. Why are you? <laughs> okay. But uh, kind of enough on that because I think everyone's had a bit enough on that. But I guess kind of spin our conversation on diversity. And I think I guess we can kind of start with karate and what you, you guys felt appeal to you in karate and how your backgrounds maybe have thought made it something of a barrier or thought it was kind of something impenetrable maybe at first but actually like when you enter into karate maybe that maybe that breaks down that barrier and creates kind of a bridge and a bond with other people from you may not ever mix with or 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 talk to I think kind of from your perspectives, you know, kind of start from there. What do you guys think? Well, one thing I uh, before ooh. we even start, Jonathan, sure. is I'm going to push back on the very, very first thing you oh, said sure. about how you 
feel that you, as a white suburban guy living in Japan, are not the person to have this conversation. And I will say, I think that's one of the problems we currently have right now is people telling other people whether or not they are equipped to have a conversation. And I think if you have lived in the world and have taught, which you have, you are perfectly equipped to have this conversation. So I want to start with saying that because since we are on a podcast with what I believe are very open-minded, respectful people, I'm going to immediately push back on the idea that anyone is not allowed or equipped to have a conversation with other humans where they can share their life experience and expertise. So now, are you the most equipped to discuss diversity in any? Maybe not. But you are certainly welcome to have a seat at the table. And I, I really get very actually frustrated with how far the culture has swung where we have the right to tell anybody who is equipped to have an opinion. So I welcome your opinion, Jonathan. Um, and then to answer your question about me, so I am born and bred in New York City. I grew up in an incredibly diverse neighborhood. I went to New York City public schools my entire life. And I got into karate when I was 13. And I went to what was, in all essence, the local dojo down the block from my parents' house, which at the time was a Sato karate school run by a man named William Oliver, who was a African-American man raised in the South, trained by a Kyokushin Japanese man. So it started out. It, so, yeah, so his instructor was Kaicho Tadashi Nakamura, who was the founder of Sato karate. And the lineage of that style is in Kyokushin karate. So very, very traditional Japanese form of karate taught to me by an African-American New Yorker from Brooklyn who was raised in the South. So already- I'm actually writing down these connections. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. Um, I gotta take notes. Already kind of coming into what would be considered a somewhat diverse environment. It was- a very welcoming school in terms of everyone was welcome to come in and train. We had students of all nationalities. We had students of all ages. And so I kind of came into a somewhat diverse training environment in what was already a diverse neighborhood. So my public school was mixed. My neighborhood was mixed. The karate school was mixed. The Upper West Side of Manhattan. So fairly diverse neighborhood. Um, I do have something to say, which I'll get back to later after David speaks about himself, about kind of the way that experience grew and changed over the years of being there. Because some things about it, when I first joined and about my instructor and about the environment that we were training in, that kind of evolved over my, at this point, it's been over 35 years of martial arts experience. But with him in particular over probably about 20 years of training there, but I can get back to that later. That's kind of just my introduction for you. I totally agree with the way you started off, Miss Jennifer, with anybody who has an open mind can join in on this conversation if you, so there's no real qualification. The only qualification is to be open-minded. And once you recognize that there is an issue, that qualifies you to join the conversation about diversity. One of my isms is and philosophies is that communication is the key to peace. So if you stay out of the conversation, there's no way you can communicate and find that common ground. So I agree with what you said, Ms. Jennifer, about anybody can join in on this conversation. That said, I started uh, Tai Chi and... Um, at the hospital that I worked with, as a matter of fact, wow. Mr. Uh, well, was a minister. He passed away, and uh, he um, and so it just piqued my interest over the years. And so I was blessed to find a two good instructors. I started out in Tai Chi for three years, and she said, "Whenever you're ready for karate, I'll introduce you. I got the man for you." So she introduced me to him. I've been studying Shito Ryu, Okinawan karate since then. I teach both. 
And my experience with being a military brat, I've been able, I've been exposed to different races all over. And so I'm pretty much well-rounded, I feel like, with other cultures, other nationalities. But there have still been some racial incidents that I've had. Uh, I was blessed to go to a private school and um, a Catholic school, and there were very few blacks in that school. And every once in a while, it'll creep up. But on a personal note, I have had some incidents myself, but not dealing with karate. I feel like in the dojo, with open-minded people, personally, I have never, ever experienced any back or any negativity as far as training in my experience. I feel like anybody who's open-minded will gravitate towards dojo. So if you're open-minded and accepting of all, we have to because it all comes from Okinawa. So we are not all Okinawan, so we have to appreciate other cultures and coming into a dojo and training hard and right open-mindedness, you already accept that there's going to be diversity and you come in with a positive mindset about it. I think the martial arts environment in itself is kind of an equalizer when it comes to people coming from different backgrounds, different races, different sexes, whatever, because everyone does the same training. So we're all on the floor together. We're all in class. We're doing the same punches. We're doing the same kicks. We're doing the same push-ups. We're doing, and obviously people have different levels of fitness. They have different backgrounds. They have different things like that. But when we're on the floor, with the exception of different ranks and things like that, which Jonathan, I have some questions for you about because you don't do that anymore or well, you stopped we, doing that. That might be, that might but, be an off-air conversation. But. Yeah, that might be a different podcast. However, the only... You know, that's really the only separation that we really have in, at least in traditional karate, is that there's different ranks. But even within the different ranks, we're all on the same floor together. We're all in the same class. We're all doing the same training. And it is one of the places where you can have two entirely different people, entirely different backgrounds, entirely different ages. You can have a person from one background who's 16 you could have a 70 year old person on the floor they're standing next to each other they're throwing punches and all that other stuff kind of falls away and it's one of the things I think is really beautiful about martial arts training is you can kind of appreciate the similarities in people instead of their differences when we're all just on the floor together training and also you can learn about each other in that training environment. So if it's someone who maybe has a background that you're not so familiar with, and now you're on the floor training together, now you get to know each other in that way. And I think the martial arts environment is kind of set up to, like David said, if you have open-minded people who are coming into it with a willingness to train and learn and get better, it can be a really good place to have these kinds of interactions with each other in a very positive way affirming way and i think too i feel like we're blessed to have some good training when you train hard that builds the camaraderie and in my experience especially going to the seminars after the training is when you get to know someone a little bit better one of my after years of training with uh kiyoshi i uh got to sit down with him after a seminar one time and we really got close after that. And I'd known the man for years, but if you, when you have good hard training that builds the camaraderie and then that moves off the dojo floor, then you really get to know each other personally. And that tends to open up a whole lot of avenues for discussion, discovery and communication there. So being on the dojo floor, that's the meeting point. That's the fulcrum there, but, it, it really helps to have uh, good training. I think that's where dojo training really helps a whole lot of diversity. Right. And I think uh, to kind of respond to your pushback, Jennifer, and, and kind of to respond to that, I'm not saying that I don't necessarily have a place at the table, but I think it's important to, especially since I, you know, I run a podcast and I kind of 
um, kind of make up like at least 50% of normal conversation. I personally, I think it's my, my job to just be more active listening. Um, and I think there's a lot of people yeah. who think that, not me, but I, I mean, and I've had this, this feeling and I think it's, a, you can't really help it because it's a personal feeling of like, well, I'm being attacked. I need to be able to speak up for myself or whatever. Sure. Um, and it's not necessarily about you. So if you kind of, you know, take it from an active listening perspective, not necessarily, like you can be sitting at the table and just listen and hear all the, you know, the best time I ever had with martial arts in terms of exactly, David is exactly your point is going after class. In fact, after you've had a good hard training, it kind of sweats out the, any kind of wall. So like the moment ends, like you go back to like human function, what are the three things we're looking for? Uh, safety, security, and, 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 you know, possibly, you know, seeing ourselves continue on. Uh, that's a very uh, underhanded way of saying uh, procreation. The, uh, you know, once we actually kind of <laughs> strip people down to that base, then you just listen to pe people just tell their stories. Uh, and so I think, and just open up. And you've had this shared experience with each other that allows for that. And I feel the best times I've ever had is just shutting up at a sh shutting up at a bar and listening to you know people eat and drink and have fun. And so that's how I kind of I see myself in this, yeah. um, not just as kind of a guy who's going to stand in the background, but that's that's just me. Cool. I think you guys really did. You, you both came to the same point of saying you know good training and in just the dojo floor is going to have that diversity kind of embedded into it. I think, is there any been ever been a time where you feel like that you've had a deal with a situation where that possibly wasn't the case or you, somebody walked in and was like, they didn't understand, they didn't compute with their brain about like why the place was the way it was? The one thing that, so martial arts is inherently a male environment. It is not, the training environment isn't necessarily but there is no denying that the fighting arts in general tend to appeal to more men than women. And it tends to be innately a more masculine thing. But that being said, I came up training with tons and tons and tons of women. And I think, you know, it all goes back to, I think what David said about open-mindedness. So the only times I have ever had issues as a woman in the martial arts in fighting environments in training environments is when someone didn't quite understand what the purpose of all of us being there was and felt that maybe me by nature of being smaller by being female by being weaker whatever it was didn't really belong in that environment and we've it has never thankfully been an instructor there was a man who trained in our dojo years and years and years ago, who eventually was asked to leave for some pretty inappropriate behavior. However, he was one of the people who the attitude was basically, here is the level that everyone who spars with me, who trains with me is supposed to be at for me to respect them. And again, this was on him. This was clearly his own insecurities, his own closed-mindedness, whatever you want to call it. And so when women would train with him, he would either be very, very patronizing. He would do the thing that, by the way, we all hate where you open your chest and you say, come on, hit me. Come on, hit me. It's okay. Come on, hit me. Which is not learning useful or yeah. respectful. Or if you had a little bit of prowess, he would just pummel you senseless. And by the way, he did this with smaller men as well. This was not, I, this was not just women. He basically had, you know, your stereotypical macho, I'm a big, strong guy. Anyone who wants to train with me needs to keep up with me. And if you can't keep up with me, he was eventually not welcome in the training environment because he was directly against what our instructor was trying to promote. I mean, I think that speaks to this idea of, so when you're a martial arts instructor, you know, there's a million reasons people would come to class. Maybe you want to get healthier. 
maybe you want to learn to protect yourself, you know, all the, the checklists that we've all seen, we've all discussed. And your goal as an instructor is to work within what everyone's bringing to the table to get them to the place where they want to be. And if what you want is to be stronger physically, okay, how can we get you there? If what you want is to be braver out in the world, if you want to not walk around with fear, which is actually a big one that my husband speaks to as an instructor at our school, that one of his goals is for people to walk through the world without fear. And he doesn't just mean physically for their safety. He means emotionally, spiritually, mentally. How can I walk through the world not afraid? And now, okay, we have 15 people on the floor all different ages, all different backgrounds. How can we get everyone to get the most that they can get out of their training? And I think this kind of speaks to being adaptable, to being able to kind of teach different people slightly different, to train with different people slightly different, and not necessarily based on their gender or based on their age, or, but based on what they present in their training. So for example, you could have, I am five foot two, 110 pounds, but I'm also a six degree black belt. I, if you see me, you might make some assumption about me that would be true, which is I am not, even with 30 years training, as physically strong as a giant muscular bodybuilder guy. I'm just not. It doesn't matter how much training I have. That being said, I might be much more technically skilled than someone who is slightly bigger than me on their second week in training. Right? But if we're just taking everything at face value, you're not gonna necessarily make the correct assumptions. So again, it just goes back to having an open mind and being willing to adapt your training, your teaching, whatever, to this diverse thing that we're speaking of. So you can have a class in a room full of people that really everyone can benefit which I think is our goal as martial arts instructors is that everyone gets the benefit of what we're doing and what we're teaching. And David, do you think, has there ever been a kind of an instance where you might've had something like that as well, where maybe it's not necessarily coming at you from your background or anything like that, or maybe even from, in your perspective as a kind of an army brat, how, how, much, international, how much internationally did you get around? So my father, was an incredible man. He served actually three branches of the services. He um, graduated from high school and went to the Marine Corps station at Camp Lejeune. He did his four-year term there and he preached all up and down North Carolina. Here I'm in Wilmington, North Carolina. He preached here before I was even born. I had old people talking about, were you related to Reverend Ward? I was like, yes, ma'am. I'm his he preached when I was a little kid. I'm thinking to myself, that's a long time ago, lady. But anyway, so then he um, found that he could go back into the service as an officer with a little bit more schooling. So he got his undergrad at ECU, Wake Forest for his seminary master's and went back into the army as a chaplain and captain and came out as a major. But in between that, we were living in Goldsboro. So he was an auxiliary chaplain at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base. So he was an incredible man. And so I've been in a, a lot of different nationalities, but um, as I said before, it's not too much of a pink cloud, but I've just been blessed. I haven't had a whole lot of incidents. I know it's there and I have seen some incidents. I've avoided a lot of incidents, but comments were made, but they just didn't get too far with me. The only thing, I've never had a negative experience in the dojo that I'm aware of. Around me, maybe someone might have said something, I don't know, but with the group that I'm with, um, Mr. Perry and my instructor, John Masonelli, he's passed away, and the Rutu, Rute people, Mr. Uh, Kevin Pleasant and Chuck, those guys, it's, it's like family, so I haven't had any incidents at all. For me personally, the only negative, if there is a negative, is that I don't see the majority. Yes, we are a minority, but I wish more African-Americans, Blacks, would discover the martial arts. We don't have a whole lot of representation in the dojos and in the martial arts, unless you're in a neighborhood that, you know, is predominantly Black. But when you get to some of the seminars that I go to with um 
Mr. Green up at Winter Camp in Virginia, there's not a whole lot of us. And that's the only negative, in my opinion, personally, that I see in the dojo floor. Because what we strive for, what we experience now is so good. And I just wish everyone could come in and see this, but I don't see a lot of us coming in. I don't know how to rectify that situation, but um, that's the only thing, that's the only negative that I see in the dojo. Do you have any sense of why that might be? Because it's, it's more obvious with women, because I think right. sometimes it's intimidating. They're like, oh, there's hitting, there's grappling, you know, whatever it is. It's so physical. But I'm wondering if there is, if it's just location, like you said, or is, do you have any sense of what might be causing that? I have I have been racking my egghead about it for years. I just don't know what it is. I do have um, one guy who trains with me. He um, he was in trouble when he was younger, but he's now on the other side of the tracks, and he's working with the police department, the officers here, and he's working on a program to get that started. We are working together trying to initiate more awareness of the benefits of training good hard training, good training, good people. And so we're working on it, but, you know, over in the past, how that has happened, I don't know what stops, what started that or the reason why. And the, I mean, the few that are here, we have, good, we did have great opportunities in Okinawa, but the, there's few and far between. We don't have a whole lot of representation. Sometimes it's hard to figure out what the deterrents are. And sometimes you never do. Like it might just be that someone, you know, isn't, obviously if people aren't interested, they're not interested. But, you know, like I said, it's a little easier in the case of women because sometimes it's very clear what the deterrents are. And one of the problems, and this kind of speaks to all diversity, but I can just speak as who I am, is a lack of diversity leads to a lack of diversity. So for example, if you walk into a karate school to watch class as a woman and you look at the class and there's no women on the floor, you're going to be less inclined to want to join that school. And if you walk in and you see five women on the floor, you're going to be more inclined to join that school. And we've actually seen that happen in other schools within our own style we happen to have been lucky or maybe we're doing something right i don't know that we've always had a what i would consider an above average number of women for a martial arts school particularly in the karate program but in the jiu-jitsu program as well and i don't know um brazilian jiu-jitsu tends to be even less right kind of an environment that women would get themselves involved in but our school tends to, we've had classes in karate and in jiu-jitsu where half the class on the floor that day was female. And that's actually pretty rare. And again, I don't know if it's hopefully, I'd love to say it's something we're doing right, but I know that part of it is this idea of, well, we have women, so we get women. And, um, and I know other schools that are karate schools that are within our our organization that for whatever reason they just don't have a lot of female students and they have over the years had trouble getting female students because Mm -hmm. you know we've always encouraged like well you know tell your students to bring a friend like women join with your buddy but it's it's i think it's hard and maybe this kind of speaks to diversity in general where you know i think most people don't want to be the only one of whatever they are. So if you walk in and you look at the room and maybe the class is full of one race, the class is all Japanese people, the class is all white, you might be less inclined to join that school because you're like, well, I don't want to be the only one. And so, and I think that's kind of an unfortunate catch 22 where it's like, well, we have no diversity because we have no diversity. (laughs) It's like, well, how do you get the first student on the floor so now you have diversity and i think that's very difficult right and that speaks to diversity on the dojo floor versus fostering diversity on the dojo right. floor 
which is not the yeah. same. You kind of maybe assuming one as opposed to just, well, I don't know why there's no buddy. You know, you, I don't know why we don't have any women. We just don't, you know, we just don't have them. You know, they don't come, right. they, it doesn't, they don't do karate. Uh, David, uh, we have you back. Yes, sir. Welcome okay, back. Good. Uh, thank you. Welcome back. Wait, one question for you, David, before you were, you, you tuned, you, you, you went out, who, who did you, who was the name of the person you mentioned um, who is African-American who had a lot of experience in Okinawa? Uh, Mr. Bill Hayes. Yeah, Mr. Bill Hayes. So, you know, there's a few at his, I mean, up, upper levels, but as you know, you've got Mr. Bill Hayes um, under Shimabukuru Sensei. You've got uh, Kyoshi Bethay with Nagasato Sensei. And there's few, but, but overwhelmingly, we are a minority. And I just wish, I wish I could find the key. I don't have the answer. As you asked, Jennifer, I've been challenging myself to find the answer to bring more African-Americans into the dojo to get the benefits because I love it. But at the same time, I think, um, you know, it's what we do, our training that we do, it's, you can't be an average person to do what we do. And I think it does bring an average person to be better. Yes. But it takes a lot to start training. It takes a lot of courage to step into the dojo floor, as you said, with no diversity because I don't want to be the only one there. It takes a lot of person to be the only one there. It takes a lot of courage to step in that door the first time and on that mat and then to come back again. So it does take a lot of courage, but it's just a conundrum why we can't get more people into the dojo and experience all the benefits that we know and we love. Well, I, I just have no answer actually, to that, but I'm still constantly trying. That segues kind of into the point that I said in the beginning, Jonathan, about what I wanted to come back to about kind of as things grow and evolve. Because when I, so I did, my, the training environment that I joined was a very diverse training environment. However, my instructor, his background was traditional Kyokushin karate which is known as a very physically yeah. aggressive, tough, like the sparring was knockdown sparring. It was a tough, tough environment. Generally no padding, no armor. Yeah, I mean, no. so like when we sparred in the dojo, we would wear equipment just for probably insurance purposes. But <laughs> Welcome to America, yeah, insurance purposes. Yeah, um, it was tough. It was not... And we were probably, by Kyokushin standards, light. And it was still tough. It was still like you would go home bruised and banged up. And every so often someone would get, get a rib popped or get a nose. But like it was a tough environment. And this was in, in a very diverse culturally and ethnically room. Um, but that was kind of the background that my instructor came up in. And one of the things that happened through his years of training is he started to realize that if he wanted the environment to be more diverse, not culturally or ethnically, but in terms of different types of people otherwise, he was going to have to offer a more accessible environment that yeah. wasn't always so aggressive and so tough because so now, okay, you now have the strongest black, white, Asian people in the room, right? But that's not full diversity because if what we're looking for is full diversity, we want, like David said, these beautiful benefits of the martial arts. We want some slightly older person to benefit from it. We want a person maybe with some physical disability to benefit from it. That person's not surviving full knockdown, no pads, sparring class every week, right? right? So one of the things that my instructor started to do over the years is kind of soften his edge a little bit. Two, sometimes he got some flack for it where the, you know, the guys like that guy who eventually got asked to leave the dojo were like, what is this? You know, if you can't hack it here, you're not doing real karate. And it's like, okay, well, what are we trying to get then? Like, and so what ultimately happened is we, we continued with our tough training, 
But if you didn't want to get slammed that night, it would be okay. Like the people in the room learn to adapt and to lighten things up a little bit with someone who was a little older, a little smaller. And this kind of speaks to a different kind of diversity where it's like, okay, can you preserve the traditions of, yes, we want to train hard. Yes, we want to build our bodies to be strong. We want to build our minds to be strong to a certain extent where we can still include everyone who is at least willing to work hard. So like if you come into class and you're like, you know what, I want to do five push-ups and then I want to sit and drink water. Okay, maybe this isn't the place for you, right? But if you come into <laughs> class and you're like, I want to work hard, but if that guy over there hits me hard, he's going to break my ribs and I'm going to need to go to the hospital. We need to make an environment where you can still work hard. And my instructor did that, but it took him a while to realize that he needed to adapt the way he was trained, which was in this no holds barred, if you can't hack it, you can't hack it environment to a more diverse training floor where these two people over here were sparring medium. And these two people over here, because they were black belts who agreed that that's what they want to do, were going hard. And these two people over here were working strategy. And these two people, and I think really diverse martial arts environments have to be willing to have these kind of multiple ways of training, particularly with contact. It's different when everyone's just standing doing their forms, their katas. Right. But when you're talking about sparring, I, there's such value in being able to spar and conquer the fears that go along with that and learning how, to how a durable your body can be. But you have to be able to offer those things to a variety of people and maybe they can work themselves up to going, going super hard. But you take a brand new white belt in their first day, throw them into a class where everyone is pummeling each other with no equipment, that guy's going to quit the next day. It's just not, you can't. So that kind of speaks to a different kind of diversity that I think involves taking a look at yourself and going, okay, well, what do I want people to get out of this? And how many different groups of people do I want to be able to get what David is saying, like these great benefits from martial arts training? Uh, yeah, I like the way that what you're saying, and we see it too. We're not reputable as tough as Kyokushin. Uh, we we still go hard, and um, of course, my instructor, every instructor's instructor went harder than theirs did. You know, walking yep. up the up the hill both ways back and forth to school. You have to walk up the hill and 10 feet of snow and all that kind of stuff. So I have seen it get a I've seen my instructor get a little softer over the years too, especially when he did an after school thing. I'm like, wait a minute, Sensei, it's getting a little soft over here. What's going on? But yeah, you have to make it a little bit uh, accessible, a little bit more approachable, a little bit more comfortable for some, in this day and age. Back in the day, yeah, you know, you just take it or leave it. Now, with that said, um, I like the way you were saying, Jennifer, how your instructor broke it down. He realized that and made different levels. I used to play pool for a living, and you're talking about diversity? Yes, a pool room is diverse. You get every walks of life in there, good and bad. And as far as those levels are concerned, that's the way it is in the pool room. When you first come in as a beginner, you just play around and you knock them around. And you can tell the guys who were really good, the ones who played hard, the ones who were medium. And as you got better, then you would move to the next table and got harder and got harder. So I like the multi-level theory that you, the concept that you were talking about, having different levels of the training. So, hey, you're training hard. I think you need to move on up to this group so then you can train with this group. But you always want to push someone to be better. And give them, uh, first of all, to pull it out of them. Everybody has it in them. Um, when I'm teaching my Tai Chi class, I teach all ages. Um, my oldest is 77. I've got a retired Marine. His um, doctor prescribed, well, suggested rather, Tai Chi. So he's an incredible guy. And he had some incredible old school, traditional Japanese training as well. And I tell them the same thing The with Tai Chi a lot of people come to Tai Chi for the relaxing and the benefits and the health benefits of it all. But I tell them all the time that 
I can't give you the heads without the tails. This is a martial art. And I feel like, you know, if you get, forgive me, you get some blue hairs out there who don't want to do all this martial arts stuff, but I describe the martial application so that they can get the physical movement and the proper positioning. But at the same time, I feel like it gives them a, a sense of empowerment knowing that, hey, you are part of the weaker class of society where people will try to take an old lady's bag. But by knowing and hopefully reacting with something that's already in your muscle memory, you might be able to protect yourself. So I feel like it gives them a sense of empowerment too, letting them know this is part of the movement as well. Yeah, I think that's very important. And I think it's a balance that we are constantly adjusting and tinkering with as instructors, because I agree in the end, what we are doing is martial arts right? We are doing a fighting art. And if you water it down too much, it's you're kind exactly. of doing a disservice to that art. So I feel like it is a constant balance of, listen, I want this to be as accessible to as many people as possible without making it that we're not still doing this art. And I think I love what you said, David, about how I think everyone can get there. We have to make and I think that might be the ultimate crux of it is that we have to create an environment that is diverse enough for in all ways that everyone can get there. And whether that's a slow path where they ultimately get there, whether they get there on the very first day because they are ready and they're excited and they're, you know, whatever that is, if we can create an environment where I don't care if it takes you 50 years to get there, or if it takes you two years, you know, this is the thing that we're presenting. This is the art. This is the sport. This is the whatever. And you can get there. And we're going to help you get there. And we're going to create an environment where you're comfortable working at your pace to get there. But we're going to get you there. And everyone can. And if we have an environment that is too restrictive in the beginning, or then you're not going to even know your, like you said, your full potential because the environment wasn't welcoming when you didn't know your full potential yet, if that makes sense. So it's like, it's yes. almost like to beginners, we have to be the most inclusive and the most welcoming and the most accepting because they're the ones who don't know what they can do yet. They don't know. And if they're immediately turned off, whether it's because the environment is all one gender, whether it's because the environment is too aggressive and they keep getting hurt, or, you know, we see that in jujitsu a lot that, you know, some jujitsu schools, we actually have a slightly different philosophy than a lot of the local jujitsu schools in our area. And jujitsu, you know, it's, it's sparring on the first day. Jujitsu is a partner art, right? There's no, there's drills, but even the drills are interactive. And if you are on your very first day and you're in a sparring environment, a rolling environment, where the partners that you're with are not giving in some way. Yet you could get discouraged, you could get scared, you could get actually injured. Like you, like if you don't have good training partners and a good instructor and that's it. And then you quit. And we've heard that story time and time again, we get people who come to us who were training at some other school for like six months. And they said, yeah, I really enjoyed it. But like, I kept tweaking my shoulder. I kept tweaking my knee. And that's not because the art itself is too aggressive. That's because they were not taught in the right way as beginners and shown an environment that would let them build themselves up to the knowledge they needed to be able to do that slightly harder training. And those people might quit and then never get the value. So I think when people are new, like, I think it's so, so important. You know, all of us who've been doing it for 30 years, we can kind of shake off almost anything at this point. But if you're in your first week, like that environment has to be welcoming and it has to be a place where you feel like, oh, okay, I'm going to be okay here. And now 10 years goes by and look who you've become, but we got to get you on the floor first. Courage to get in the door, and I think once they're in the door, in my opinion, it's a, this was not taught to me that I just did this personally, but I try to strive and act on it as well, is 
when I get into the dojo, yes, there are other people there, but in my mind, there are only two people in the dojo. That's my instructor and myself. And that is it. So I don't worry about who else is there. And so that puts uh, responsibility on the instructor to make sure that they feel comfortable that way on an individual basis, not necessarily coddling them, but just letting them know, hey, you're here. You just focus on what I'm doing and what I'm teaching. Everything will be all right. I'm not going to let anyone hurt or injure you. And as far as uh, training like that, so that part of um, training and instructing as well is teaching them how to train without injuring themselves. And sometimes, yes, you don't get someone who knows how to protect yourself because the worst thing about an injury is not the pain, it's not being able to train. Because once you're injured, you're going to have to sit on the sidelines and you're going to say, oh, I wish I could, I wish I could, and you're not able to do so. So getting someone to train you properly on how to train without injuring yourself, yeah, that's very important. I feel that those newcomers, when they come into the dojo, if they get that, not necessarily a one-on-one attention and teaching, but that comfortable comfort level with the instructor that I'm all right here, we're the only ones here, I don't have to worry about anybody else. Now, of course, you've got partners, as you said, in the uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but in stand-up karate, you know, just say the instructor, he's watching everybody, he's watching me, he's going to take care of me, and so just get that mindset that it's just between me and the instructor, I don't have to worry about anything else. So I, if someone can get that comfort level once they get in, I feel like they would stay a whole lot longer, but it still takes courage to walk through the door. My husband always says in our jiu-jitsu classes, he says, my num- he's like, my number one goal is not safety. My number one goal is to get you good at this. But if you get injured, I can't get you good at this. So it's like kind of a roundabout exactly. way of yeah. saying, yeah, my number one goal is safety, but because of what you said, David, that if you are injured, you can't train. And if you can't train, you can't train. <laughs> That's right. And if safety goes both ways, safety is taking care of yourself against somebody else and taking care of yourself while you're training as well. So you got to be safe. I think the physical openness of uh, that attitude is really important because it'll lead to other kinds of openness. And I think that it kind of extends out of the dojo. And it stacks because I've, I've seen it where people, you know, they come into the dojo with their families and it's a tight unit, but uh, sometimes they, you know, it's, I remember for me, when I started, I didn't have a great relationship with my family. I didn't have, I didn't understand how to say sir and ma'am and stuff like that. And and, uh, then suddenly I, you know, learned those things. I also learned how to be physically open with people. So I, you know, I learned how to, you know, deal with situations, but also, you know, be able to be more helpful towards people. But I, I, I think that where you guys spoke to that was really good. And I think, I think, Jennifer, I think you, you, you guys were both talking about like uh, how the old sensei will go really hard and they kind of have to learn how to slow down. I was thinking about all the people who don't learn how to do that and where are they now? They are nowhere. They are at, yes. at they're at home. Yep. They they don't have any more students. They because they they kept on going at them and it just burns them out. So. Yeah, we actually know we know someone who used to be affiliated with our style who used to run a school out here in New York, and you know he was the epitome of what um, my husband calls a never long, which is one of these people who just will not learn from their mistakes and he used to say when his school was getting smaller and smaller and smaller well you know I do what I do and if people can't do it then then that's fine like I'm just I you know this is what I do this is the way I this is the right way he doesn't have a school anymore (laughs) so it's like you can only do what you do to the extent that people want to learn what you're teaching if what you do is turning people off you might need to change your message at the very least if not what you do so yeah we absolutely see that we've seen that play out 
directly where people are like inflexible in their methods or their philosophy or whatever. And almost it's like their inflexibility becomes a sense of pride. Like, I'm, yeah. this is, you know, I'm doing the real, you know, the amount of times, and I'm sure you hear it too, that you hear in the martial arts training, the real way, the right way. It's like the real way is the way that is getting people better at martial arts and helping them grow as people. That's the real way. Like, like the, I'm doing the real. It's like, what do you mean real? Like, we're all doing it real. If you're getting up every day and you're training hard, you're doing the real way. So like, but this idea of this pride in their inflexibility, but now, like you said, Jonathan, well, now you're home. <laughs> and yeah, you're just, you're just, home you're just, with your pride. And nothing else. You don't have a legacy. Else. You have you no don't students. Have a, you have, yeah. You don't, you don't have, you have your so pride. Because, it's funny because one part, one key quality concept about the martial arts is being able to adapt and move with change, improvise and overcome. So when you see your dojo getting smaller and smaller and smaller, hmm, I think I need to change and adapt and do something. Something's going on. I need to adapt. And so I find that that is kind of funny, sad and funny at the same time. very small children that's the main thing i do i teach ages three through seven that's like my main age group and the nice thing about teaching that age is listen if you if you show up and you teach your class of four-year-olds and that class goes badly you have to look at yourself like you can't like they're four right they don't know what they're doing if they if that class didn't go well if nobody learned anything if they were having trouble listening if they were all over the place like I always tell myself, I've been teaching kids for years. I majored in education. I was a classroom preschool teacher before I was doing this. If your class of four-year-olds aren't listening, then you're not teaching quite right. Like you got to look at yourself and go, well, what can I change so this runs better? What can I change so my class is more accessible to these four-year-olds? Because it's never, it's never the kids. Yes, are there kids who are undisciplined? Are there kids who have more trouble learning? Absolutely. But I'm the adult. I'm the teacher in the room, right? So if I'm not willing to look at myself and go, well, how could I have changed that class to make it a better class? Then what am I doing out here? Like, it's my job. I'm a teacher. I think that's, that speaks a lot to just allowing that kind of inclusiveness because that the 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 inflexibility is is going to going to turn just everyone off or you you, if you can't be able to even even talk to people like i remember uh i freaked out when i was teaching at college clubs and i had korean nurses who were about 10 15 years older than me walk in i didn't know any korean they knew actually more Japanese than I knew. And I was like, I don't know how to teach these guys. Um, and I you know, talked to somebody I was under at the time and they were like, well, just monkey see monkey do, it'll be fine. It was a little more than that. <laughs> like it was, it was, you had to, t- you have to take time to get to know the people you're teaching and you have to take time to be able to kind of listen to their stories, even in, you know, even in a very limited way, like that interaction was. It actually sparked my career at the current moment. I think uh, what um, I'm hearing too is there's a lot of responsibility. I'm sure we already know this, but just putting it out there, there's a lot of responsibility on the instructor to make the students feel comfortable with any kind of diversity and the atmosphere in the dojo to get the most out of their training. Harping back to what you were saying, Jennifer, about you don't have to, if the children don't get anything out of it, it falls on you. My instructor, I teach, I study Shitoru, and we're known for having about 50 million kata. And so I got to the point where I knew a lot of kata, and of course I understand it's not the number of kata. I understand all that, but I got to a point where my instructor, you know, when he was teaching, he he'd look at me and say, oh, you know too much already. So I got to the point where he was not teaching me a whole lot of kata. He would teach, of course, instruction, moving this and that, but he wouldn't teach me a whole lot of kata. So I took it upon myself, hmm, I need to hone my teaching skills. And so that's when I found the importance, how critical it was to be a good instructor 
And he would do the same thing. If you, he would have someone teach someone, another student a kata, and he asked to see that kata, how well they did, he wouldn't look at that student who was performing the kata and say a good job. He would look at the one who was teaching the kata and say a good job because it's really important on the instructor to be able to transmit the knowledge, to make the students feel comfortable as they're learning. So a lot of the responsibility for diversity and the whole atmosphere of the dojo falls on the instructors as well. That's my take on that. Yep, that's absolutely true. I guess one thing I have, I guess, kind of to wrap, I guess, to wrap up um, is to say, ask you guys, what has surprised you in your teach in your careers teaching, both with diversity and and just, in, I guess, in general, what what is from maybe a student you didn't necessarily expect anything from, or maybe you felt didn't, you know, just wasn't going to, you know, something wasn't going to work or whatnot. Um, what might have surprised you in your careers teaching in regards to this? David, you could go ahead. <laughs> I feel like I always jump in and answer the question first. <laughs> One of the things, you know, I think we all come in, and even those of us who claim to be open-minded, and I claim to at least try to be, you know, we all have biases that we either know we have and we're working on and or we don't know we have and we discover that we have. And, you know, we we have some students who basically what happened with us was our instructor William Oliver passed away in 2004 and we ended up initially taking over his karate studio and then over the, the past bunch of years it has then we then moved to a new location and in essence opened our own school um, so the school that we run now is our school however there's a few students left over who trained with us, with William Oliver, way back in the day, who when he passed away, decided to just come along with us. Um, and one of them is a woman who's a very good friend of mine who is in her 70s. And she has, for as long as I've known her, you know, she jokes about that. People think I'm crazy that I do this. She, um, she came back up in the same classes I did back in the Kyokushin days. She has been a member of our karate community for her. She is a fourth degree black belt now. She's been training as long as I have, so over 30 years. She does the same sparring classes we all do. She does the same everything we all do. She joined our jujitsu program about two years ago at, you know, young 70s. She goes into the jujitsu program. And, you know, this speaks to this kind of environment where I'm saying, well, you obviously can't have everyone sparring at the same exact level. But that being said, she came into the jiu-jitsu program. She was like, what are we learning? Okay, we're learning how to choke each other. All right, let's do it. Um, and obviously, you know, people don't grapple with her at the same speed and power as they do. But she's learning the same technique. She's doing the same classes. She recently received her blue belt in jiu-jitsu. So, uh, about halfway through last year, um, having known the same techniques that everyone else does. And like, again, can she beat up all the men in the room? Of course not. But does she have knowledge of jujitsu and karate? Absolutely. And, you know, speaking to what David said about the katas, like her and I know the exact same katas, right? So we can get up and like, do we look different performing them slightly, but do we have the same mental knowledge yeah we know the same material we know the same katas and i'm in my 40s and she's in her 70s and so i think even in someone like myself who's like you know i really believe that this is for everyone i then see her coming into jujitsu having done karate for all her life being already a fourth degree black belt in karate being willing to put on a white belt and say, let me try this jujitsu thing. I've never done this. Is inspiring and surprising, even to me, having known this woman my whole life. That I remember the first day that she came into jujitsu, I was like, this person never ceases to impress me. So that's my story. Have being coming up with it on this fly, surprise question there. Which is like a good that. question, by the way. Thank you. 
I try to come up with at least once a, one a day. Yeah. So David, what has surprised you in your career in terms of teaching and in terms of diversity in the dojo? Or just in general, what has kind of stuck out to you the most? In what has surprised you the most from a student? As far as diversity? Yeah. Honestly, I, I keep saying it, but for, for me, it's just that um, not enough uh, minorities have come to discover what we know already. Um, I am pleasantly surprised that of all that I have met, though, the even so looking at it on the flip side, even though I don't see a whole lot of minorities, at least in my area, I might have to put it that way, in my area who come to the martial arts and the people that I am with, I am happy with, you know, I feel comfortable with, I call them family, they are family. So they are open-minded people. So that seems to be a consolation if I want to put it that way. So that is a good thing that I'm really pleasantly surprised to um, learn, discover, meet new people who are open-minded. And so I am the minority that they still come to me. They still trust me with their children to teach. Uh, they trust coming to the dojo and teaching, you know, having me instruct them as well. Um, we are not a, um, a soft dojo. We do lay hands, as I say to everybody. So we we strike, and so they're comfortable with being struck, and so they're they're comfortable with me. So that's a good side of it. Even though I don't see a whole lot of minorities in this, those that do come, they're good people, and that's what it's all about. It's really about good-hearted people, good, open-minded people, and so I'm pleasantly surprised that. There are a lot of it's not just in my community, the African American. It's everywhere. So because it's all about the heart, and so that's what pleases me. Well, that, that's great to hear. So, uh, David, uh, Jennifer, anything, any kind of closing words on this before we kind of wrap up here? No, I think this was really great, and it's nice to kind of. I love to hear different perspectives from different people who are doing. You know, we're all doing the same thing, but in different states, in different countries, in different parts of the world. And it's just, it's always nice to to have conversations with fellow martial artists because in the end, we're all, we're all on the same path. We're all doing the same thing. We all have the same goals. And I think, you know, I'm just going to leave with that, what David started out with, with open. If we're open as people, as humans, as martial artists, I think we'll be okay. David, anything you want to close on? As, as for me personally, yes. Um, the uh, We are on the same path, but it feels good to know that there's, this kind of, sounds kind of weird. I know we're all on the same path, but it feels good to see some others on the path with me that are still trying to spread what we do, um, get people to discover the benefits, the world, um, to, to learn through training in the martial arts, how to become a better person, how to, through our training, we can help others be more diversified themselves. It's not all about all the instructors doesn't always come from being in the dojo. Yes, we discover it through the dojo, but once we talk to people through our training and our experiences, we can adapt and we can, talk to others and diversify outside of the dojo as well. And so just to know that there's others on the path and see other people on the path going the same way makes me feel good as well. So I'm, I'm glad you invited me to be in this conversation. Thank you. And David, Likewise. Jennifer, Thank you guys. It's, been, it's been great to have you guys on. And so one last thing, as we always kind of do at the end, didn't do this in the beginning because we wanted to kind of do more of an introduction, but I guess in the end, what are you guys working on in terms of training this week? Oh wow! What a question. <laughs> in this because we're talking about all all this other yeah. stuff, and it's like, wait, what about training? What are you guys doing you know, this week? I will, I will be honest. One of the things that I've 
and, and I, I think we're kind of all struggling with this now. So I will say the thing I am actually going to be working on this week is trying to refocus on training, period. It's been so hard with everything that's going on, um, you know, to be able, you know, I train, but, you know, part of my mind is somewhere else. Maybe I'm not really focusing on the technique I'm working on. Maybe I'm focusing on the technique I'm working on while part of my brain is planning the class I have to take and, oh, how am I going to pay the rent and what are we going to do about it? So it, it's, it's, it's hard to be mindful nowadays. And that's always been a struggle for me in general, and it's even more of a struggle now. And so I will say what I'm working on is not a specific technique or even a specific thing, but trying to refine that ability to focus on training when I'm training, because it's been a little bit of a struggle recently. Great. Dave, what are you working on? Oh, every day is a constant struggle. I've got some seniors that they train on their own, and it's very tough to train by yourself. Single and no dependents here, all I do is work and train. That's all I do. And uh, not being able to go to the dojo, well, I mean, I've got the key, but not having class on a regular basis, right. it's kind of tough. I still get to the dojo probably two times a week on my own by myself. So as far as what I'm working on is being able to work on things that I haven't worked on in a long time. Um, I'm digging up bones and dusty stuff that I haven't worked in years and years and years because I'm always teaching all the time. You don't get a whole lot of personal time to train on your own. Not a lot. I mean, we still do, but not as much. And so, as I said, with Shito Ru, we have a lot of kata. So I'm digging up a lot of kata that I haven't worked in a long time. So just just working on a lot of the old stuff is what I'm doing through with this time, this downtime right now. That's all I'm do, working on right now. Great. Great to hear, guys. I, if any of you guys can have, have a uh, Jerry Rig hanging bag technique, I'd love to talk to you about that off, uh, off air because that's what I'm working on, trying to figure out how to get up. Where I live is rather remote, so... I've, I've tried like three Amazon things about like punching bags and they've all been like, can't send to your location. Just <laughs> Jeff Bezos gave up on me. So, I, you know, we'll talk about that later, but great guys. Okay. So, thank you thank guys you so for coming on. Thank you, um, thank you, David. This has been great. And thank I hope you. we get Good to have you guys on again um, soon. Um, anytime you guys are welcome. Welcome on. Awesome. Thank you. And good luck with everyone's schools. Yeah. <laughs> We'll get through yeah, and it. Everyone be so, safe. Let's keep doing it. Be safe. Wash your hands. Wear your masks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wear your Take masks. Take care, guys. All right. All right. And don't Take forget to keep training. Always. <laughs>